Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Katie F., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Tuesday, May 14th, 2019. Today we are reading from the big book, Chapter 2, and we're on page 26, the first paragraph. Today's readers are, for the 12 steps, <clears throat> Jackie M., for the 12 traditions, Pat M. S. Reading the text are Amy G., Allison L., and Jason K. The reference numbers for Monday, May 13, are for the 7 a.m., 12,894. That's 12,894. And for the 10 a.m., are 12,896. That's 12,896. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Jackie M. to read the 12 steps. Hi, good morning. This is Jackie M., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in New York. The 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you for letting me to service and I pass. Thank you, Jackie. I will now ask Pat MS to read the 12 traditions. Okay, good morning. My name is Pat M.S. from Alabama, a recovering compulsive overeater. 
Number one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscious, our leaders of a trusted servants they do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such, ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relation policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communications. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for allowing me to be of service. Thank you, Pat. How our meeting works. Our meeting our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our absence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today, we, we resume our study of the big book, and we're on page 26, the first paragraph, um, a certain American businessman, and I will now ask Amy G. to begin reading. Good morning. Thank you, Katie. Good morning, everyone. My name is Amy G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland. A certain business a certain American businessman had ability, good sense, and high character. For years, he had floundered from one sanitarium to another. He had consulted the best-known American psychiatrist. Then he had gone to Europe, placing himself in the care of a celebrated physician, the psychiatrist, Dr. Young, who prescribed for him. To experience had made him skeptical. He finished his treatment with, with unusual confidence. His physical and mental condition were unusually good. Above all, he believed he had acquired such a profound knowledge of inner workings of his mind and its hidden springs that relapse was unthinkable. Nevertheless, he was drunk in a short time. 
More baffling still, he could give himself no satisfactory explanation for his fall. Well, for me, I, I don't know if Bill is divinely inspired here or just an incredible writer, but it, whenever he does, it seems like in the big book, whenever there's concepts or theories, explanations, there's always a real-life experience that has been given, an example of someone has experienced. And what have we been talking about in the last few pages? We've been talking about how we have lost the power of choice and drink, that we are without defense against the, the, the first bite, the first drink, and that there is a solution, but it's certainly not a middle-of-the-road solution, um, that I have to be all in and that I work that I need to do, and that it's really a spiritual malady and that I must find a power greater than myself and do the work that is necessary, i.e., the 12 steps. And in my opinion, I feel like what he's saying here, in case you have any lingering reservations, let's give you an example. Let's give you a real-life example. And this American businessman, I mean, he had it all. He had money. He had access. He had ability, good character. He had the access to the best therapeutic modalities and personalities and psychiatrists of his day and age. And yet, in a short time, even though he thought relapse was unthinkable, after he'd gone through this process with Dr. Young, he found himself drunk shortly thereafter. And I could so relate to that. How many times did I stand in front of the refrigerator five bites into a binge going, how the hell did I get here? With everything that I knew and everything that I learned my first years in OA, I admitted I was a compulsive overeater. I'd said that I was powerless, but did I actually work it? Did I admit that I was powerless and that I'd put myself beyond human aid, particularly my own human aid? And so I feel like what this example is like putting the nail in the coffin is that the reality is is that of myself, me, myself, and I, that I am powerless over this disease. And that if I have but two alternatives, am I going to work this program? Am I going to be, am I going to be all in? Or am I going to continue to refund the misery that this compulsive overeating does? And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Amy. Okay, so um, we are on page 26, the top paragraph, a certain businessman, American businessman. Um, reading and commenting on just that one paragraph. So if you haven't commented in the last few days, if you would please give me your first name and the first initial of your last name. Jason Tina S. Jason K. Tina S. Beth W. Beth W. Monica T. Monica T. Harlan G. Harlan G. Melissa C. And Melissa C. Oh. Craig F. Craig F. Okay, let's stop there. So we have Jason K., Tina S., Beth W., Monica T., Harlan G., Melissa C., and Craig F. Go ahead, please, Jason. Good morning, everyone. This is Jason K., Recovered Compulsive Eater and Bulimic from outside of Philadelphia. And uh, boy, did I sit on a few therapists' uh, couch, couches. And I entertained a profoundly uh, useless question, why do I eat? Why did I eat? Why did I eat this time? And I say that's profoundly useless because it didn't seem so at the time. I seemed, 
you know, like I was depressed. I seemed like I need psychological help. Uh, and I sat on the couch and I entertained this question and I asked this question and I explored, um, you know, the emotions. Maybe I wasn't uh, happy in a relationship. Maybe the job was too hard. Um, maybe something in my childhood made me think uh, or feel or believe or behave in a certain way that I became a compulsive eater. Uh, and I'd entertain this idea that I had an eating disorder. And over time, uh, I realized, you know, and what this book here is telling us in this paragraph, that we can gain incredible psychological knowledge and understanding of our mind, our motivations. We can dissect and uh, uh, analyze and write and journal and express and emote and primal scream. And at the end of the day, what's happening? I'm still eating compulsively. I'm still getting into the food, getting into my alcoholic food, triggering uh, the phenomenon of craving, baffled, baffled, confused, and thinking that I have a choice in this. I have a choice in the matter of whether I'm going to do this or not, not understanding that my willpower is broken. It's an insufficient, um, pitiful tool to uh, go up against the craving and the obsession of the mind and the mental twist. Um, and it's like I'm fighting, you know, fighting, fist fighting the wind, trying to uh, gain, uh, gain the upper hand. Uh, and thank God, thank God uh, we have a solution today. And it's not on the psycholo psychologist's uh, couch. It's a, a surrender, a deeper surrender. What this paragraph really tells me is the psycho psychology doesn't work to fix this problem. And this book is spending a long time uh, trying to un uh, explain, elaborate, um, illuminate the nature of this problem. Uh, and, and that's pointing us to the nature of the solution needed. Uh, and thank you, Roland Hazard, for uh, your experience and showing us what is not the way. Um, so with that, I think I'll pass. And thank you, everybody, for being here today. Thank you, Jason. Okay, Tina S., you're up, followed by Beth W. Thanks so much, Katie, for your service. Tina S., Recovered Compulsive Eater, Anorexic in Florida. Wow, some great stuff. Thanks so much for the shares. I can, you know, I always know when I listen on the line that I'm I'm in the right place that I belong. You know, one of the things that I, I love that they talk about in this paragraph is that it says his physical and mental condition were unusually good. You know, and that takes me to the place in the big book where it talks about once the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. And that is not something I wanted to hear, you know. And and I love that it was shared that prior to, to where we are, well, right where we are in the book, bottom line, is that I've lost the power of choice. And I have an obsession of the mind that tells me I'm going to die if I don't pick back up. And so what is the solution like what was talked about? You know, it's a spiritual awakening, a psychic change. It comes about through the work of the 12 steps. You know, while I'm here in step one, he heading to step two, thinking that something bigger than me can restore me to sanity, I'm going to die unless I, unless I take the, the, the next right actions, which for me, I did just because some, cause whatever I tried failed. And somebody says, well, hey, once you get through the 12 steps, if it don't work, you, you know, we'll refund your misery. You know, and a lot of times that's what that's the only reason people work the 12 steps. But what happens when I follow directions in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and it's my experience in Strength and Hope, I hope, is that once, 
you know, the psychic change comes about through the 12 steps. I'm a different person. I'm no longer that same person who, who is in the food, who makes a choice, because by this time I, I can make a choice whether I pick up the food or I don't, even though I don't have it in my body. But I choose not to because of the benefits that I get. You know, the, the life that I have today beyond my wildest dreams because of this work and because of other people in the rooms, and so that I give this thing away freely. And um, with that, I pass. What a great, what great stuff. Thanks. Thank you, Tina. Beth W., it's your turn, followed by Monica T. Good morning. Thank you for um, calling on me. My name is Beth W. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from North Dakota. <clears throat> so grateful for this meeting, because um, we just don't have this opportunity locally. Um, he placed himself in the care of a celebrated physician who prescribed for him. I um, I went to psychiatrists, I went to psychologists, and I I couldn't get sober, I couldn't get absent, and I didn't even know um, that I was a compulsive overeater. Or maybe I did, but I, I didn't know how to say that to anybody. I had a psychologist who encouraged me to cut really nice chocolate bars into small pieces and just enjoy it. Um, as as one small taste, and um, because I had been in a pay and weigh program that um, was failing me, and I was getting heavier instead of uh, smaller, and um, and she meant well, and she was helpful in so many other ways in my life, um, got me through some really dark times in my life, but that that wasn't helpful that part, um, and. Um, you know, less than a year later, I was, you know, 20 plus pounds heavier. And so it was just, and I was more pathetic than ever. But what I, and I floundered, 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 floundered. And, and this program is the one that has um, saved my life. And it's uh, people like you um, and the hope that I hear in your voices and, and working the 12 steps. And, and when someone told me how to put the food down, and um, helped me by reading this book with me word for, word for word and step by step. That's, that's, where, I, um, that's where I found unusual confidence. Um, and um, I'm so grateful for this program that I get to work at one day at a time um, and uh, call into this meeting every day um, as a way to start my day. And I will pass. Thanks. Oops. Um, shoot. Okay, thank you, Beth. And Monica T., it's your turn, followed by Harlan G. Good morning, Amy. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica T., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Florida. So, a certain American businessman. So, I'm going to give you a little history on here, and hopefully I'll leave you some, Harlan. Um, Roland Hazard, R-O-W-L-A-N-D. Hazard is this guy's name. And it says he's got ability, good sense, high character. This guy was a multimillionaire. He was a Yale graduate. He was associated with the Allied Chemical Company. So this man was very smart, lots of money, but he was an alcoholic. And, and we're being given a little history here. You know, he's tried all kinds of different sanitariums in the States, all kinds of different doctors, therapists. And so he decides to go to Europe. And this was in the, probably the beginnings there with the, you know, psychoanalyst was, was becoming very popular with Dr. Freud and Dr. Adler and Dr. Young over in Europe. 
And he wanted to be with Dr. Freud, but that didn't work. He ended up with Dr. Young, and we're, we're glad he did. Um, so he goes over there. Now, this is a 30-day treatment he spends with Dr. Young. He spends a whole year with Dr. Young, and he stays sober that year that he's there with Dr. Young. And he's learned a lot of things here, he says. You know, and he believes all this knowledge and all this um, therapy that he now has a good understanding of how his mind works and he's going to be able, when that obsessive thought comes into his mind, to pick up a drink, he's going to realize what it is and be able to say no. But what happens here? I'm not sure whether the story is on his way to the boat or on the boat to come back to America. He gets drunk. Let's just say it's on the way to the boat. He gets drunk. Oh, my gosh. He's just left Dr. Young after a year. So it's just saying us that self-knowledge and self-will are no defense. You know, obviously, this guy wants to stop drinking, and he spent a lot of money and a lot of time doing it. But he hasn't found... Um, um, that he has found that knowledge isn't the answer. Now, Roland Hazard is very important to us because Roland Hazard is the guy who came and saved Ebby from being committed to the asylum and brought him to the Oxford group, and Ebby got sober, and Ebby brought the message to Bill. So Roland's a really important guy. With that, I hope I left you something, Harlan. I pass. Thank you, Monica. Harlan G., you're up, followed by Melissa C. Thank you very much, Monica. Thank you. And and you did leave a little bit there. That's great. Thank you, Katie, for making this magnificent meeting possible. I am Harlan G., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater in Scottsdale, Arizona. And sometimes you have to spiral information, and sometimes repetition is the sincerest form of teaching, the most effective form of teaching. Roland Hazard tried to get to Dr. Freud, and Freud wasn't taking any new patients. He tried to get to Adler. Adler wasn't taking any new patients. He got to Dr. Jung in Switzerland, and Dr. Jung treated him for a year, 1932 to the middle of 33. He stays sober, 33. He goes to Paris, and in Paris he is to catch a ship, to go back to the United States, and he runs into two wealthy friends of his parents. Of course, his parents were opulently wealthy. They didn't have any poor friends, that's for sure. Um, and he runs into them, and they bust out a bottle of France's finest champagne to celebrate Roland's sobriety, Roland's treatment, his health. Let's take a look at some things here that are pivotal because this story of Roland and Dr. Jung is going to change the world that we live in forever. And as was just stated by Monica so beautifully, uh, this is a pivotal paragraph in the history of the world. Roland Hazard is going to go back to Dr. Jung and Jung is going to tell him something and the, what he's going to tell him is what we're going to cover in the next couple of days. There's really nothing I can do for you. Now, here is why. Is it odd or is it God that it's vital that Roland got to Jung and not Freud or Adler? You see, Freud and Adler believed that all 
solution lie within the mind. Jung is going to break rank with them in only one area, and he is going to tell Roland that in a, in a situation where he could affect a vital spiritual experience, he will have an opportunity to change his outlook, attitude, and behaviors. And this is what Roland is going to glom onto. Roland is going to carry the message to Ebby. Ebby is going to carry it to Bill. Bill is going to carry it to the world. Jung and Roland at this point do not know the problem. They have no idea about the allergy of the body and the twist of the mind. They do not know any of that. Roland is going to get a solution from Jung, but he's not going to get any direction as to how to affect that. He's not going to know how to bring a spiritual experience about. He's going to get that from the Oxford group, but we're going to be studying this over the next couple of days. But this is a pivotal paragraph in the history of recovery because this is the emanation point of the solution and Time, this is please. the emanation point of step two and with that I will pass thank you Katie thank you Harlan Melissa C you're up followed by Craig F and then we'll open it up for more shares hi good morning Katie thank you so much for your service this morning um, thank you everyone it's Melissa C recovered compulsive overeater in New York and Oh, my gosh. Well, I'm so grateful that I have historians on the line that can, um, you know, give me some more information and give me some more background um, because it, it does. It helps me identify in my, you know, their history. That's my history, you know. And um, I think, like, yeah, I floundered from one diet to another, from one, like, solution to another. And, um, I, you know, when I read this part, it really reminds me of when I was about 17 and a half and, you know, having done diet after diet, um, you know, my high school years, I gained 100 pounds in, in high school and that was horrendous. And so before college, you know, my parents lovingly um, hooked me up and helped me out on another plan. And this time it was through a hospital. So I was really going to find out what was wrong with me and I was really going to fix it. And, you know, it was this like big hospital program. My parents paid a lot of money, you know, some of it was covered by insurance and they ran blood work and they, they tested all sorts of things about me and there was counseling and um, this was going to be it. You know, I remember going off to college um, you know, I, I got this thing now. Now I understand what it is I have. Now I, I know exactly what to do. I'm just going to eat this way for the rest of my life. And, um, of course, I couldn't do that. It didn't matter that I had ability and good sense and, and you know, character. None of that. Um, you know, we can finish the story. And that happened again and again for me, you know. And then I did come to the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous, and I think – you know, there were no, there are no coincidences, right? What led me to OA was a, a friend's parents who had, must have heard me crying and, and seen my weight, you know, my weight gain. Um, and I had no money left. My parents loved me. I was, you know, I graduated college at this point. They were not going to sink 
more thousands of dollars into another program, no matter how much they cared about me. And what a great thing that was because, hey, OA was free. And so I, I went um, and I found out a little bit about the allergy and nothing else. You know, I didn't listen to anything else, whether it was said or not. I don't know. You know, and so um, it doesn't matter that I know the inner workings of my mind. It doesn't matter that I know that I have an allergy. I could know I have an allergy all I want, but I am powerless to follow what is good for me without an intervention of a spiritual nature. That's been my experience, no matter how much head knowledge I've had. I have to have a spiritual component. Um, even today, it doesn't, you know, I am not safe. Time, um, please. Yeah, thank you. With that, I'll pass. I'm not safe without God's intervention. Thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Melissa. Okay, Craig F., you're up. Hi, this is Craig F., recovered in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, this paragraph and, and, and this story of Roland Hazard uh, shatters a couple of myths that still sometimes seem to linger in my mind um, and my attitude. One of them is, here, here's a guy that he has ability, good sense, high character. We just heard a minute ago that he is a Yale graduate. He went to an Ivy League college. He, He's rich. He's he's rich enough that he can take off from work for a year and go to Europe just to work on himself. Um, you know, I, I taking two weeks off to go work on myself in my life would have been a a, a treat. But um, you know, I I was always in the traces pulling the plow, um, and and so part of my mentality has always been, you know, if you were under the stress I was under. You know, that, that that's why I ate, that's why I drank, that I had all this stress in my life, you know, this poor boy trying to make good and, and um, you know, put myself through school, through college with a, with a family and, and came out with no debt, you know. Um, that means I was working full-time, going to school full-time. And, and so, you know, of, of course I drank. You know, the stress was on me. And, and 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 but here's a guy that uh, that has everything uh, from my point of view, and he's still and he's still an alcoholic, and and he goes over there, and, and here's another thing: if I could just figure out how my mind works, you know, if I could just figure this out, uh, I wouldn't have to to eat again. Well, guess what? He he worked with the famous Dr. Young for a year, and it said he, that he uh, had such a profound knowledge of the inner workings of, the, of, his, and it, of his mind and its hidden springs that relapse was unthinkable. Nevertheless, he, he was drunk in a short time. So that dispels that myth, that all I've got to do is figure this out. You know, all I've got to do is understand why I eat, and then I, I, I won't have to, to compulsively eat. Uh, and, you know, the causes of this disease are unimportant, it says in the OA preamble. The causes, we've come to believe that the causes of this disease are unimportant. What deserves the attention of the still-suffering compulsive overeater is this. There's a proven and workable method by which he may arrest this illness. Well, 
here it is, you know, uh, the causes are unimportant. Uh, you know, stress-free life, uh, uh, stressful life, uh, too many kids, too few kids, a job, no job, let nobody say they can't stay sober, you know. It, it's it is fine, uh, please. Uh, all right, thank you. I'll. Uh, it it is a matter of working this program and uh, surrendering to a power greater than myself. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Craig. Okay, so if you've just joined us in the last few minutes, we read the first paragraph on page twenty-six. A certain American businessman, and we're commenting on that one paragraph. Um, who else would like to share? P. Nancy P. Donna G. Donna G. Carlisa P. Yvonne B. H. Yvonne B. H. Okay. Anyone else? I got Nancy P. Donna G. Janice P. M. Carlisa. I missed your initial, Yvonne B.H., I believe. We can take one or two more. Okay, well, let's just go with that. Nancy P., you're up, followed by Donna G. Hi, thanks for letting me share. Yeah, this is Nancy P. from Boston. And, um, you know, I didn't need to, um, I guess my history in OA is long and storied. And, you know, I thought I knew everything. I had, you know, my pedigree is pretty good. And, uh, you know, my mother was in the program and I was in since I was a little girl. And so, you know, they say you have to sponsor. So I'd sponsor and tell my sponsees what they need to do and advise them on their marriages and, you know, just do everything. And, you know, t you know, talk, say whatever I wanted without any thought about, you know, why I was saying that and whether or not I should be. And, you know, I had, I had had some periods of time where my body was an acceptable size, but I didn't, hadn't surrendered and I didn't know what I was talking about and I had no business doing anything. And I remember once sort of not really having an argument, but, you know, telling my sponsee or something, I don't know, hey, I said, do what you want. My, my recovery is rock solid. And we hung up the phone and I walked over to the refrigerator and, and, and four seconds later I was eating cheesecake. So it's not like I didn't know. It's that I had not surrendered, as the previous speaker said. You know, nothing happened for me. Nothing at all happened until I surrendered and admitted that I was powerless over food and that my life was unmanageable. And boy, oh boy, it was, you know, wicked unmanageable. Um, there was, you know, it had overtaken me completely. And then when I was face down in the mud, then I said, you know, I don't know. Please help me. And then I was able to address not only the obsession of the body, you know, because I never wanted to, I didn't really know what complete abstinence meant. I never was willing to like flog down and, and admit that absolute means absolute. And, and then, and that allowed me to address the, um, the twist of the mind. And when I did that, I got better and I got better fast. Um, um, so I can't say that today, um, you know, the problem's been removed and it's all be, it's all starts with surrender with that all cost. Thank you so much, um, Nancy. Okay, Donna G, you're up, followed by Janice PM. 
Good morning, and thank you for your service. This is Donna G. Grateful, recovering compulsive overeater in Pennsylvania. And um, I came from the discipline. Um, my, my studies and background is um, in, in the field of counseling and psychology. And so, um, yeah, this is, this is a reading about some guys who I'm very familiar with. And, you know, um, I used to think, well, okay, so if I could just apply the principles of psychology to my own life um, by having enough time and enough leisure to do so or money to get treated or, or whatever, um, it would work. That's, that's what I needed. Um, I had a lot of faith and belief in, in, in that. And I think there's a lot to be offered for, for a lot of people from that. I mean, it's not all to be thrown away, but obviously I believe in the profession. But um, it's not the answer, not for my problem. It, it's not the answer for my problem. And um, so then I would look at famous people and say, okay, well, it just reinforced that I, it's because I have to work so much and I don't have the money because, look, they have all this and some of them really look great, you know. But then but then I would look at people who had all the money and had the fame and the fortune and, and um could hire chefs and, and exercise, you know, coaches and this, that, and the other, go to treatment, and they still could not get a handle on it. And that, I'm unfortunately, looking at them, not myself, is where it started to break down, this belief that, wait a minute, if they have all of this and they still can't get a handle on um, their compulsive overeating, then, then there's got to be something something missing. So, um, yeah, and then when it broke down in my own life, which it, which it broke down many times. I mean, you know, you can live with the false hope, but I just wanted to offer hope to all the newcomers um, that, you know, uh, that especially those who have tried, tried, tried through many, many means, whether you had the money or you didn't, whether you did all these programs or not, that um, there is, this is the other way that works. It's proven to work. Um, and just keep listening if you want proof of that. Um, to people who, who are doing it. it. It works one day at a time, and I'm so blessed and grateful um, to be a part of this group and to be a part of um, those of us working um, the steps in our lives. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Donna. Okay, Janice PM, you're up, followed by Carlisa. Well, good morning to you, KDF, and everyone this morning. My name is Janice. PM, and um, I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Yeah, the problem, the problem, a way out. Well, of course, now that I, you know, am recovered for just for today, not cured, you know, the problem was me, me, myself, and I. Of course, I thought, well, it's the food. It's that's that's the solution. You know, that's the solution. If I could only find the right doctor, the right whatever, the right pill, the right, uh, you know, have the money, have the money. But my problem was me trying to find the method, the solution, a way out. But I, with my pride and my intellect, which were the two biggest problems, that's the problem, um, of my power, I couldn't do it. And, you know, I felt even better. I felt that I was better than everybody in the program because I was married to a doctor and I could secretly get any diet pill that you wanted. 
So I said, hmm, I got the solution. And, you know, with that solution, yeah, it took away some of the desire and I wouldn't want to eat. But guess what? My mind took over my obsession to want to eat, even when I didn't eat. Even when I didn't, I wanted to eat because my mind said, okay, don't take the pills today and you'll be able to eat. Can you imagine? I thought that was the solution. And my husband could get me any diet pill that you wanted on the market. And uh, now that didn't work, see, because I had to smash my pride, smash my intellect, smash me, my self-will. My self-reliance, just like, uh, um, what's his name, Roland Hazard, and uh, tried, I couldn't find any human aid. I had to live in with me, and I couldn't find it because, you see, that wasn't the real problem. The real problem was my mind, and as I've been taught so readily that there's only two ultimatums, continue. Continue taking the diet pills, continue eating, um, and you're going to die. You're either going to die from the diet pills or whatever, and or to pick up spiritual help. Um, and that's how I found the way out. Um, you know, my disease, <laughs> you know, it isn't the solution isn't physical because I have a spiritual problem. So the diet pills didn't help. They helped. To, to smother the, the the want for a little while, but it was so baffling. The knowledge, so baffling, because you know information. There's a quote: information does not give me time. Please. Fine. Thank you very much. Information does not give me transformation. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Janice. Okay, Carlisa, you're up, followed by Yvonne B.A. Hey, I'll be quick. This is Carlisa C., uh, grateful to be in recovery today, and my bus is coming. So I'm, I'm going to just say, for the first time this morning, I asked myself, so why didn't Mr. Hazard uh, drink for a year? It's because uh, the good doctor was trying to invoke in him a spiritual awakening. So... Uh, that for me, that explains my process where how I could be using tools and be abstinent according to a program, but still not have worked up enough fury, I guess, and and power and reliance to change. So I'm going to pass because I just got off the bus. Thanks for letting me share. Okay, thank you. And Yvonne BH, you're up, and then we'll have time for uh, three more shares if you want to think about it. Thank you. Thank you so much for letting me share, and thank you for your service. I'm Yvonne. I'm a grateful, compulsive overeater in recovery abstinent today and emotionally sober. Uh, calling from Germany. Uh, he believed that he had acquired such an Profound knowledge of his inner, etc., and that relapse was unthinkable. This is his first mistake, the greatest mistake. He didn't have the directions as already shared as we have today, but um, the program shows me, asks me to do my morning meditation, um, 
And when I do my morning meditation with the prayers of one, two, steps one, two, three, seven, and 11, I'm already surrendering and asking God for help. And But I need action besides my prayers. And um, one of my actions is my preparation. Uh, besides asking God to help me to see uh, who can, how I can help other people who are still, um, still uh, sick, I can also. I need also ask to ask him to help me to prepare myself for things which cannot come up in the day, um, like people, uh, my own thoughts, and um, everything which can come up and can be dangerous for me. This is preparation I need in the mornings and throughout the day. And uh, the program also says that I should never be so sure about myself that a relapse is unthinkable because that's self-righteousness. That's how I see it. It's self-righteousness and I will fall. If I do that, what this guy did, I will, I will fall. I will certainly go into relapse. So this is very important for me just to have this day, just for today, be grateful for my abstinence. Be grateful for my emotional sobriety and see where I can help other people. Then I'm constantly in contact with God. And contact with, contact with God is the most important part in my uh, recovery. Without this constant contact with God, which I hope I have every day, I will not be able to stay abstinent either. I need God first. I need God. I need your help. I need humility, I need love, and I certainly not be sure that a relapse is unthinkable. I need to prepare myself every day, every morning, in my morning meditation. Yes, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Yvonne. Okay, so we're on the top of page 26. We have time for three more shares on the first paragraph. Who would like to share if you haven't shared in the last couple of days? Linda R. Gina F. Anita L. Jen A. Okay, Kathy I F. heard Linda. Okay, I have enough. I heard Linda, Anita, and I heard someone, but then I also heard Jen A. So I'm not sure if I uh, have that in the right Please. order. I'm sorry, Aria. L E A S, yeah, L E A I. Okay, I think you were before Jen A. Okay, so let's go with Linda R, Anita, I think it was Anita L, L E A, and Jen A if we have time. You each want to take two minutes, that would be great. Sure. Thank you. Hi, this is Linda R, recovered in South Florida, and just so grateful for your service on the line today. Um, I've been listening in about the problem and the solution. And, you know, when I came into the program, I lived in the problem for many years, and I did not have a program of nuts and bolts where depth and weight, where I could really, like, be the awareness of how to solve a problem with the steps in the big book. And something happened the other day where I had a little bit of a, um, I said something that really wasn't appropriate. And for me, you know, with the mental obsession, I, that's the problem. Because if I trigger a word that's not in alignment with the principle, immediately I get that same feeling that I would get if I picked up any substance. 
So I knew that I had to really do some work around it to find solutions. And of course, I used the fellowship. And then I'm sponsoring someone with the fourth step. So we were on a section of the fourth step, and we were reading in the big book. And the answer was right in the big book, because I knew that I had to find a solution to this problem because I wasn't spiritually aligned with my higher power because I had all these feelings about what I said to this person. So anyway, what happened was I went into the book, we were reading, and the answer was on the page. And I was able to take that verbiage, clear myself of the guilt for saying this, and get the right answer. And I, when I made my amends to her, I was able to use that verbiage from the big book. So my pitch for today is there is no problem that cannot be solved without, with the use, without the use of the big book. I mean, the big book has all the answers for me as far as steps and everything that I do to apply my program today. So today I'm living in joy and I'm in the solution of the program. Thank you so very much for allowing me to share. Thank you, Linda. Anita L., you're up, by, followed by Ellie A. Good morning, everybody. This is Anita L. from outside of Philadelphia, recovered today. Uh, I'm very grateful and humbled to say that, that I am recovered today, living in the solution. And I don't take that so lightly. Um, and what I have to say might be kind of shocking. Um, I have been listening to A Vision for You for over six years now, and uh, I was very lucky that five years ago I I had a very beautiful, wonderful uh, guide who took me through this big book, the first section, first 164 pages plus the beginning chapters uh the doctor's opinion, etc., and you know, I was kind of like Roland in the respect that I had the answer. I had all that information. I knew it. I had such a good guide through this big book, and I did become recovered. And for a year and a half, I lived in the solution and I was sponsoring and I was giving service and et cetera, et cetera. And I thought I was doing it all. And then one day my, my sponsor, because I must've been like slipping or something. And she said to me, and what are you doing to increase your spiritual life? You know, I was giving service to everyone else. And I think that that is a huge key. And that is what needs to keep me humble today. We, you know, every one of us wakes up with the, the same opportunity to choose to bring a higher power, a spiritual recovery into my life for today. And I must do that. And somebody shared all, all the prayers that they do. I do that same thing. Plus, I do other uh, practices um, with 10 and 11 that I need to do. And, you know, yesterday I met for the first time with a group of women working on 6 and 7 because I can see I'm not changing uh, and becoming transformed uh, with my husband. I'm, I'm going back to old behaviors, and I don't want to slide backwards. So I need to do more work uh, 
to increase my spiritual life. So it doesn't matter. I had another sponsor in this program from um, the Vision meeting, and she speaks all the time, and she was such a great uh, sponsor, and she knew the answer. You know, she could teach me the big book. The thing is, if I don't work it every single day, to the best of my ability and surrender, I'm going to go right back to eating. And I have to humble Time, myself please. and realize that it must come from a power greater than myself. Thank you. With that, I pass. Thank you, Anita. Okay, Ellie A., we have time for you. And, and um, Jen, we might have a minute. I don't know. Sorry. You can wait, hopefully, for the second hour. Hey, uh, okay. Hi, my name's Salier. I'm a compulsive overeater and I'm in recovery. I'm working the steps right now. I'm in step four. And yeah, the reading and the shares, it just really, it spoke to me so much today. Um, I'm in, currently unemployed and I'm in Germany in a program for unemployed people and I have a coach that I speak to every week. And I told my coach about my food addiction and how this program is my first priority and how I'm, you know, it's how it is a full-time job at the beginning or it feels like to me, you know, going to meetings, working the steps, doing the outreach and, you know, being in withdrawal. I'm 34 days abstinent now. And before I came to OA, I was at a psychiatric um, institution and I applied for behavioral therapy because I thought that you know, if I have the right therapist and I, I can analyze why I'm eating, you know, and I could learn new behaviors, like I was crazy. I, w- I believed that, you know, a therapist could make me stop eating. And my coach said, well, what about your therapy? And I said, well, to be honest, I don't think it will work. Like, I'm done. I, I'm a compulsive overeater for over 18 years now. Like, I can't do it anymore. I, I, this program is what works and that's what I'm going to stick to. And she says, well, but if you know why you eat, you know, if you know the mechanisms, you could stop. And, you know, and I just, I didn't want to just make a discussion. I just said, listen, you know, it's a possibility. I'm on a wait list. But I realized that, you know, all the self-knowledge and all the talking about what's happened in my childhood and, this was not right, and I'm, in, I, I'm transgender, that's why, you know, body dysphoria, that's why I started eating. All those things I know, but now that in my life changed a lot, and I'm at the end of my transition, and I'm having surgeries, and everything's going to be just perfect. Like, my, life, my dreams are coming true, but still I was eating. It was like the guy in the big book that screamed out to the doctor, I have everything to live for, but I just can't stop. That was me. Like I sat in my beautiful apartment, you know, everything tidy and clean, and I was there in the bed, isolating, binging. And, yeah, so this paragraph that was discussed today and and, and your shares, it's really, really manifested my own belief that no doctor and no therapy can take away, you know, can take away my compulsion and my disease. I also remember remember that I ordered a book that was about, before I came to AA, I ordered a book that it said on it, like, you know, deal with the food is not the problem, how to deal with the problem, and so on, and I had that book before, but 
you know, I had it under control, so I gave it away. And I ordered it again, and it never arrived yet. But, you know, I was convinced that if I only have enough knowledge that I can stop eating compulsively, that I will have the answer. But now I know Fine, that please. I'm just powerless. Thank you so much. Okay. Well, thank you to everyone who shared. It was an awesome meeting. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour study immediately following closing. The share ID for today, May 14th, 2019, 7 a.m. meeting is 12,898. That's 12898. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Allison L. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Yes, I will. This is Allison L., Recovered Compulsive Eater in Ohio. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then, 